Howdy, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Texas Signal Signal Cast. I'm your host, Joe Desotel, and I'm here with my co-host, Jessica Montoya Coggins. Hello, Jessica. Hey, Joe. Well, so the Texas abortion ban is back in the news, and this time it could be sort of a silver lining for us. Can you tell us what happened? You wrote a story about this on TexasSignal.com earlier this week. Sure. So this case was in front of a federal judge, Robert Pittman, um, and he has basically ruled it's a temporary injunction. Uh, So he took sharp criticism, actually, at the Supreme Court for even allowing this uh, bill to sort of be be in effect. Um, It has been on the books since September 1st. Uh, This is, of course, uh, the extreme anti-abortion bill, Senate Bill 8. Uh, it's essentially a six-week abortion ban, uh, but it also has this really um, sort of legal minefield that it's created in that it allows virtually anyone to sue somebody who has aided or abetted an abortion. Uh, so right now it is temporarily blocked. Uh, we should note that even though that's a good thing, uh, even for abortion providers, there's still um uh, it, it's not sort of clear if services are going to resume. And that's because there is a clause in Senate Bill 8 that basically says that in this exact situation, if the law is blocked or not, um, or not being enforced, uh, the minute that is either overturned or you know, sort of goes away, any abortions provided in that time period, the providers are still liable. Uh, so it's very insidious. It's a very, very gross bill. Um, but yes, for right now, there is a temporary injunction. And as far as I know, what I've read that there have been a couple of lawsuits in this vein, and and they were from out of state to, I think both were from Arkansas, maybe, and they were basically debarred attorneys. They're not even legitimate attorneys anymore, as far as I read, uh, who were basically challenging folks. And then there was a doctor who put himself out there to be challenge and says, look, I'll take, I'll take this on. I provide abortions. It's essential healthcare. Come at me, bro. That kind of thing. And, and so, uh, I don't know if there's been any movement there, you know, lawsuits, obviously they they take a long time. Uh, this is essentially just a scare tactic, um, to scare providers and scare women, uh, who would otherwise have this procedure. So, um, you know, I guess this is all in the courts now on both sides. Right. And so we're just going to have to, to see what happens, but, um, right. And the state of Texas did file our, our indicted attorney general. Uh, he did immediately file an appeal with the fifth circuit, uh, which is a notoriously conservative court, uh, that we are under jurisdiction of. Um, so we'll see about that, but I mean, this is, uh, this bill has been on the books now for, a little over five weeks. And it's really had a lot of catastrophic events. Um, I have a story upcoming uh, with an OBGYN. Uh, She testified at the House Committee uh, last week. Uh, She'd also written for the New York Times just about her experience uh, as an abortion provider. Um, But, you know, you're seeing patients right now who are, are being impacted by this Uh, We know that there are clinics in neighboring states, places like Oklahoma, New Mexico. Uh, They're already booked for this month. And I mean, you're talking about traveling out of state. That's a lot of money. That's, you know, think about childcare costs, just trying to do all this logistical stuff. Um, So this, I mean, and that was something that I think Judge Pittman really emphasized in his ruling is just how disastrous this law is. 
and how it is like just intentionally stoking fear uh, for for people who need services and providers. And in my understanding, though, that there are some things going on at the federal level with the Biden administration, essentially to try to quell that this particularly the fear mongering part of this uh, under a law that essentially says something to the effect that if somebody is being intimidated against expressing a right that's guaranteed at the federal level, that is basically in uh, an invalid law to some degree. I think that that was sort of the nature of the federal action that they're trying to take to protect women in Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, certainly there is actually uh, also some federal, some legislation, the Women's Health Protection Act. Um, once again, we are sort of beholden to the filibuster in the Senate. So that kind of seems dead on arrival there. Um, but there, I mean, there, this is a completely untenable situation. And I think that people are very much looking for a federal solution for something like Texas. Cause remember there, you know, a lot of states are looking at this law, trying to adopt it for, for their own states. Uh, in many ways, Texas is, is sort of like ground zero in that regard. And, and that should worry, I think everyone. It should, because we're the second most populous state in the nation. And, you know, we used to look at what we consider backwater states like Alabama and Mississippi doing this kind of stuff and and always, you know, being a little bit more embarrassing than Texas. And that's just not the case anymore. And in fact, you know, they're trying to pass like a something like a 12 week or, or 16 week or something like that. And Mississippi. So they're way behind, as it were, with Texas, uh, with how extreme our law is. And so, you know, yeah, this is, it's really unfortunate. And for folks who are relying on the federal government, even in the situation we're in, is pretty scary because we, we have a razor thin majority in the house uh, and we could lose it in the next couple of years because of redistricting that we're seeing right now. Republicans who control most state legislatures are doing everything they can to tilt the scales in their favor to make sure that they can regain Congress next year. And as you mentioned in the Senate, again, a razor thin margin of one vote with two senators that are acting essentially as Republicans and holdouts um, on this really important stuff. And, you know, I actually shared this on my Instagram earlier today. I think it was, uh, it was basically, it was a graphic that showed the United States split up into groups of, of full states, complete states, uh, roughly six states or seven states or seven groupings of states that were about 50 million people each. And California, Nevada, and Arizona are 49.7 million people. And then you have a group of states that's Alaska, Hawaii, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, uh, Colorado, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, uh, Missouri, Iowa, and Minnesota equals only 48 million. <laughs> and I did the math on this. It wasn't hard. Uh, those three states, six U.S. senators, those 32 or those, those other 48 million, um, 32 senators. And so- We absolutely do not need two Dakotas. This is- <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, I am yeah. I pro the unification of Dakota. Uh, one Dakota. Yes, yes, exactly. One Dakota. We only need one Dakota, folks. 
And so, you know, that just shows you how how unfair and unbalanced the Senate is. And and if if we as Democrats represent by far a majority of U.S. Uh, citizens with less, even less than 50 percent of the states. But I mean, in this case, it's so stark. It's like, you know, about uh, what, 16, 17 or so states have uh, the sa- roughly the same population as three states. And yet they have uh, like something like um, five times the number of, of representation in the Senate. And that's just the kind of battles that we have to 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 deal with while conservatives completely complain about being silenced on social media on social media. So, you know, this whole idea of the the idea of this being any kind of balance or whatever are two sides or both sides is completely wrong. Uh, our, Our government is heavily heavily tilted towards conservative ideology and getting and then, worse and getting worse and getting too. worse you know in worse, in yeah. 20 years i think they're projecting where it's something like 17 percent of the population uh is just gonna have like 20 senators like that's exactly good. i mean and, and it's ironic in a country that we supposedly have a meritocracy so if you're a state and you're doing a great job of attracting more people, attracting jobs, people want to live there, you're actually penalized because your vote continues to get diluted and diluted and diluted, while other states like the Dakotas or some of these other states that for 100 years have not grown their population, they're actually rewarded by having a higher percentage of representation. And so the system is completely backwards. I mean, when we and if make, you're part of that 700,000 in District of Columbia, you don't even get you your get vote. Zero representation, yeah. And they have a population that's bigger than several states. So yeah, I mean, the, the way that the, the, you know, it's tilted towards conservatives and yet progressives and even centrists are, are make up a, a huge chunk of the population and growing and yet their political will is shrinking uh is unsustainable and and really just adds to um you know this feeling that democracy isn't working here um and and it's because it's not set up to work this is when someone like ted cruz would point out we're not a democracy we're a republic yeah well even in a republic He's he's done that he's done that before Oh, absolutely. I mean, even in a republic, the idea is that we elect people to represent us. And that's simply what's not happening as we see with redistricting. So we are going through redistricting in Texas right now. We are in our third special session. And the first sort of floor debate is going to be taking place on the House maps on Tuesday. And so they will be debating uh, these maps. I think some of the arguments you're going to hear about are why you're seeing uh, if 95% of the growth in the state has been people of color, why the actual number of districts with uh, majority white representation has grown. And they're going to ask these questions. And you probably saw that the chair of the Senate Redistricting Committee, which is Joan Huffman, said she has not seen this data. She has no idea that that's a fact. I believe she also noted that these maps were colorblind. Which, yes, race blind. Yes, race, exactly. oh, race blind. Excuse me, race blind. Um, which in, in a, 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 year, a couple of years ago, the Voting Rights Act would have said, "Oh, no, 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 no." 
yeah. well, ma'am, um, but we don't have the voting rights. Well, it's, it's, it's really, it's really interesting how, if they were race blind, how they managed to bolster the, uh, the white population's, you know, representation, uh, just blindly, literally blindly, just total coincidence that they actually paired two African-American co- members of Congress who are longstanding members, uh, who represent their district, uh, in that whole Republican, you know, form of government, uh, has been taken away from those constituents. And so they don't have the right to elect who they want to elect anymore because they were just simply drawn out of their districts and paired. And then there was this other district for, on the house maps, which are going to be debated on Tuesday. I don't know if you saw this, but bell County, uh, where the, uh, the, the biggest army base in the United States, um, is, Basically, they drew a house district around the base, and it's completely surrounded by another house district, and they're calling it the Donut District because it's a district completely surrounded by another district. I've never even seen that before. I've seen ones that stretch, and they bend, and they curve, and they go in out of these crevices of little neighborhoods, but I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, I've never seen that either. Um, it made me a little hungry. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I've, been try- I've been trying to <laughs> sort of watch my food. So I was like, oh, yeah. I look like a donut right now. Um, but yeah, no, it's completely um, insane. And um, somebody else asked like what I thought of some of the other districts. And I don't know if anyone remembers that movie Arrival with Amy Adams, but when she's trying to like communicate with the aliens, they do these little shapes. And so that's what kind of reminds me of some of the districts they drew up in North Texas that are so like convoluted and like these strange little appendages coming out everywhere. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, the donut district was, that was something, um, you know, they, they find these new and inventive ways to, to, to do these maps. To be awful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the people who live there, I mean, and they, there's nothing they can say because they did it intentionally. So when somebody says, well, hey, why did you cut my city in half when that was completely unnecessary? The only answer is, well, because that was our way to squeeze another Republican district in. Uh, if we would have kept your city whole, which is, again, as you mentioned, part of what the old Voting Rights Act that's been overturned by the Supreme Court uh, would have made sure they did is simply not there anymore. That requirement is not there anymore. And that's why it was there in the first place proving it again we absolutely need another civil rights act we need to update it because they're at they're back at it on these old games uh and so you know that that is um that's sort of where we're at on redistricting uh they're gonna have they're, they're doing the house maps and then we'll eventually we'll see the congressional maps and the, and the senate maps come up I have a bad feeling I'm, I'm going to be redistricted out of, as I mentioned last week, I got the trifecta of being redistricted out. So I, I think that I have a bad feeling I'm going to, I'm going to go from all democratic leadership to all Republican. Unbelievable. Without moving an address. That's no, a pretty, it's yeah. a pretty neat <laughs> trick, Jessica. Um, but, you know, and so as we, as we debate the redistricting, uh, there are other members that are, you know, out there looking for sort of their next their next gig and, and what they're going to do because they're being paired and drawn out of districts. Uh, it's a lot of, you know, some Democrats. I think we've talked about how some uh, we talked about the two African-Americans in Houston on the congressional side that were paired together. There are two Latinas in El Paso that were paired together. And it looks like this is sort of political retribution for for quorum break. Um 
the other major piece of legislation, I guess there are two other pieces of legislation that are going through that we're watching. One is the $16 billion in federal coronavirus aid that came to Texas and could have been distributed by now, uh, but they were so busy trying to pass the voter suppression bills uh, that they haven't gotten to that yet. Um, and so they're just now starting those conversations. It, uh, it appears they haven't fully made decisions on where they're going to spend that money. Of course, everybody has different ideas about where that $16 billion should go. Um, it's, it sounds like the Senate has begun those conversations. The House has also begun theirs. Uh, from what I understand, they're about 80% uh, in agreement on where that money should go. Uh, but then it's going to have to you know, be reconciled past both chambers. And surely it won't go to the things that we would want it to go to, healthcare, uh, you know, unemployment benefits, uh, things that actually help people, uh, you know, schools need, need help right now. Um, and so who knows what they're going to ultimately end up spending that money on, but we'll keep an eye on that. Um, and so uh, this could also help us drag into another special session uh, later on. And so because these special sessions can max last 30 days uh, a month, uh, if they go past uh, that, then they have to call it another special session. And so what we're hearing on the redistricting front is that it's very likely they're going to do another special session after this one uh, and cover and cover those issues. Um, and the, it's like a know, horrible riff on that Oprah <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Everybody gets a special session. That's right. Yeah. What, what, what do you got? So the other the other bill that we're watching is the, the trans sports bill, which reared its ugly head one more time. They brought that bill back. Um, you know, I think on the House side, they're trying to stop that the, the speaker. But the sad thing is they ultimately it seems like Dan Patrick is truly the person who's in charge of our government. Uh, not Governor Abbott. Um, if anybody else, it's Donald Trump. And so between Donald Trump and Dan Patrick, that's the government Texas is getting. And so this is a priority bill for him. Do you have any particular updates on where we're at on that trans bill? Sure. So they held testimony on Wednesday. Um, and there's a lot of heartbreaking testimony from parents, from uh, children, uh, you know, basically, um, and then also the, the bill's author, uh, a woman named uh, Swanson, I forget her, forgot her first name and I don't really care. Um, she, uh, yeah, she actually also basically admitted that there has never been a situation in Texas where, you know, a, a trans student has quote unquote disrupted any sporting event or, you know, taken it. And that's kind of the argument that they've said, like, oh, if we allow, you know, these trans students to, to participate in sports, you know, it is just going to destroy women's sports, which is contrary to actually what pretty much every major female athlete has to say on this. Um, and so, and so the Swanson lady basically said there hasn't ever actually been an example of this, but we're trying to prevent it. So we're, you know, we're, we're preventing this, even though yeah. there's, there's no, no case here, but so there, yeah. So it did pass out of the house committee. And as you said, there is like some tension, I think, even with Republicans in the House about this. But, you know, Dan, this is a huge uh, priority for Dan Patrick. Um, it was a big priority for Abbott, too, to acquiesce. Um, so he put this on the special sessions calendar. Uh, it's just a very cruel, heartless 
bill and, um, you know, in solution of a problem that doesn't exist, that exactly. is ultimately going to have heartbreaking effects for, yeah. for many people. Exactly. I mean, just, just, just tra- traumatizing people intentionally for no real benefit is, is what, what's happening here. Um, and so let's talk about our favorite person we haven't talked about in a while, Donald Trump. So Donald Trump has uh, been sort of, apparently he's really bored because he just keeps dipping into Texas politics over the last couple of weeks. We that's saw what, that's what happens when he gets banned from social media. He's got to he's got to find find other outlets. Exactly, and so Texas is he's he's playing in our sandbox. He you know just over the last few weeks we've talked about this a couple times how he's been pressuring Abbott on these audits that he wants to see happen all over the country, but even all over Texas where he won by a couple hundred thousand votes, he he still wants to see every every county audit it, and he's telling uh, Abbott that he needs to put the audit on the call for special session and 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 t- tackle the audit situation here in Texas, which is unnecessary again. But uh, he's also playing in primary politics in Texas. So, as I mentioned, the the redistricting maps are a great opportunity for the people in charge to dole out sort of punishment and political retribution to people uh, that they've had issue with, uh, you know, not supporting the things that not getting in line. One of those people is Republican Senator uh, Kel Seliger from West Texas. So he is a former Amarillo mayor. And so he hasn't been a big fan of all the attacks on local control that have taken place in, in Dan Patrick's Senate. So they see this as a great opportunity to get rid of him and, and find somebody that'll play ball a little bit more. And so, uh, so what the, what we understand at this point is that it's looks like Dan Patrick put a call into to former president Donald Trump and asked him to insert himself into this Republican primary and endorse one of Kel Seliger's opponents. And now because of how powerful that Trump endorsement is in Republican primary politics, Kel Seliger is considering whether he even wants to run for election again, looking at these maps. Uh, and so, you know, that's just sort of the power of persuasion. That's the power that Trump still has over the Republican Party, even in the state of Texas. I have a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot more of Trump endorsements as we head toward uh, the Republican primary. And we're probably going to see a lot of um, just just brace yourselves, folks. It's going to get real embarrassing real quick out there in Magaland. <sighs> yeah. I mean, so, you know, one of the other Trump's major priorities, of course, was the border wall. We saw Abbott go down and put on a show with other Republican governors um, just the other day and do this big press thing where he got literally like 10 or so Republican governors from around the country. It, it caused quite, it caused quite a kerfuffle in Idaho. Uh, I don't know if folks <laughs> have been following this, but there's a big, there's a huge tension between the governor and Lieutenant governor. They apparently, uh, you don't sort of run as a, as a unit uh, with them. Um, but yeah, the, the Lieutenant governor, while the governor was down in Texas, tried to send their Idaho national guard and to the border uh just uh if you think texas politics is, is wild just that idaho stuff is, is next level <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's it's amazing you know uh how dangerous these folks can be you know like at one point it's all rhetoric it's all 
you know, it's sort of dangerous right because you could have these like lone wolf types go out and do crazy stuff like what we saw in El Paso based on, uh, you know, what politicians are saying to stoke these people up. But then when you get people like that in power, they activate the National Guard to, to yeah. come down to another state. That is wild. And that just a preview of sort of the dangerous uh, stuff that that is that's in store if this Trumpism continues around the country and we don't really, you know, get get our hands around this stuff. Uh, and it also shows the power of just a few people and what they can do, because Governor Abbott set up this basically is like a GoFundMe for the wall, right? Which we saw that fail once already, but for some reason he thought, let's do that again. And actually landed Steve Bannon uh, under arrest. Yeah. Pardoned, but. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's no accountability for these folks. They do whatever they want. Even if it looks like for a hot minute, they're going to be in trouble. There comes your pardon. They always get away with it. Uh, so much for law and order. But anyways, so... Uh, Abbott set up this essentially GoFundMe campaign uh, through the state government uh, and so that anyone can donate to build the wall. Well, he got $54 million in donations, which sounds like a lot, right? Well, it turns out that 98% of that came from one person and is not even a Texan. So this billionaire uh, heir, I guess, of the Mellon banking firm, uh, you know, uh, uh, for that family, he, he's donated, uh, over $50 million to the border wall in Texas. So one donor, uh, yeah, his name is, uh, Timothy Mellon. He is the, the grandson of the, the banking tycoon. Um, it, uh, he's currently the chair of something called Pan Am Systems. Uh, I don't know if that has anything to do with the, the former, uh, oh, it, so I guess it was sort of a brand that was bought after Pan Am, Bankra- Pan Am Airways was bankrupt. Uh, so, but Mr. Mellon uh, is also an author. He uh, wrote a, I guess, an autobiography. I don't know what he has to say. Um, it probably won't surprise you to know he's also pretty racist. Uh, so he <laughs> is, a, is a critic of many of the Green New, of the New Deal programs. Um, and uh, he had a lot of things to say about people of color using uh, social safety nets. Just, just an FYI on, on this, yeah. this fine individual who, who has funded our border wall. I could probably use my imagination and, and come up with a few things he's probably thought about. Um, I imagine he's also not a big fan of critical race theory. Um, and we've seen okay. that conversation come up a lot. And I, f- and I feel like, you know, it's very interesting because at first it was last year was, was dominated conservatives dominating, uh, talking about riots, riots everywhere, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, riots going on. And then when we, they were very quiet about what we saw on January 6th. In fact, now the narrative is that those people are somehow heroes or something like that on the right. But what, what we've seen since uh, with the critical race theory and then the mass mandates going on at school boards everywhere. We've seen right-wing parents who have been brainwashed with this stuff, you know, go up and create violent situations in schools and at school board meetings. Um, and, um, and we're not really seeing a lot from, you know, from the right to quell this. And in, in fact, they're doing the opposite because uh, apparently uh, Biden made some statement, or I think Merrick Garland put out, um, some kind of 
you know, statement that essentially says we're uh, protect to protect schools uh, against parents who become violent at these events. Yeah, it's, a, it's guidance basically to the U.S. attorneys of uh, of the country just to sort of, you know, note that, you know, we're, we're we understand that many school board members or, um, you know, principals or faculty are, are under threat at this moment. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, for the U.S. attorneys, just like keep your, you know, be, be aware of this and uh, just just know that, that the federal government is, is here to help. Mm-hmm. And so the narrative I've seen on the right wing media ver- or Twitter versus is to that effect of like, oh, we're criminalizing parents now who are concerned. So they're not writers. They're just concerned parents. They're so concerned that they're threatening violence on uh, individual, uh, you know, administrators. And we saw just last week here in Austin, the Travis County Democratic Party, my old office actually was firebombed by some lunatic uh, who believes in all this stuff. And he left the note, which is an idiot. Cause he like tied it literally to the incendiary device. But part of the note that they could read essentially said that, uh, this is only a warning. This is just a beginning. Um, and then ironically the bar across the street, somebody working there was, uh, was really helped tip off, tip off what happened and was able to help catch this guy, uh, that bar. They, also, they were also able to, to douse the, the, the really early the flames from that incendiary device uh, and you know really prevented w- widespread damage to, to that building mm-hmm. and you know it's interesting like it's actually my next door neighbor's bar uh he actually owns that bar uh, i actually been meaning to like just text him and say hey thanks i saw what what you guys did and maybe i should just go in there but um yeah, get him a drink yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, man, yeah, we are you around big time. Uh, you know, but I mean, this is the definition, textbook definition of domestic terrorism is politically motivated, it's violent, it's destructive. And this guy has been arrested. And so obviously, we'll be keeping close tabs on whether, you know, anything actually happens. Again, accountability seems to escape these people. And so we'll keep watching very closely uh, to what happens to this guy. Um, and so I'm really glad he was caught. So glad he was caught. Um, They're smart enough to have cameras out there now and security and, and stuff. So he had his face covered. The only time you may see some of these conservatives wearing masks, unfortunately, but he had his face covered in an American flag type, you know, you know, covering. And so it's awful. Uh, the rhetoric definitely motivates people as we've seen and drives people to do these crazy things um it's getting violent out there uh just for people who want to you know express their political beliefs which is really the foundation uh, of what a republic is about and you know our first amendment is the first amendment for a reason um and so it's scary to me that conservatives like to forget about the first amendment and concentrate on the second one because the second one can get out of hand very quickly. And, um, and I don't, I don't think I, I trust their judgment on when they use that second amendment, unfortunately anymore. So, um, so we have a lot of work to do, but. Yeah. Yeah. But um, no, you're, you're right. Uh, And I, I I talked with uh, the executive director of the Travis County Democratic Party and she was very adamant that you know, this wasn't the first time that their office has been threatened. This was, was the first time that arson was involved. Um, right. But, you know, mm-hmm. they, they are they are committed to electing Democrats. And that's mm-hmm. 
that's what they're there for. And another thing she did note was she heard from one Republican official, but you know, as of you know, pretty pretty much twenty four hours had passed when I when I talked with her, and you know, still there wasn't anything from the Travis County GOP. Uh, there was really mm-hmm. nothing. From- you know, I, the I'm sorry to cut you off. Um, I just get really excited about this, but you know, the ironic thing about the Travis County GOP is they're the ones pushing the police quote unquote police reform uh, proposition that's going through Austin and, and it's on the ballot for this November. And essentially it ties police funding to population uh, and, and it's threatening to essentially bankrupt the city or at least, uh, you know, ha- have to shift priorities from, you know, libraries and parks and things like that to strictly just based on not need, but literally based on a, this formula that isn't any kind of scientific or, uh, you know, need-based formula. And so they are out there pushing uh, that, oh, cops response rates are too low and we need more police out on the street. And meanwhile, these people that are responding to their rhetoric are the ones that are firebombing their uh, op- opposition's, you know, headquarters. So, uh, yeah, I think this stuff really needs to be pointed out. And, and we, we actually did on the signal earlier this week, I recorded a, uh, a podcast with one of the leaders of that movement to, uh, to basically vote down that proposition. There are over a hundred local organizations in the city of Austin from labor to, uh, women's issues, to environmental issues who are, uh, opposed to prop one, uh, the parks, uh, all the parks foundations, everybody, uh, who's like very interested in, in community in the city of Austin is, it seems to be opposed to prop a. And so, um, you know, that's the real story and it's being pushed by these, these Republicans. And, and one of the biggest narratives that has come out of this on their side is that, uh, oh, George Soros is for, is, is opposed to Prop A and he's dumping all this foreign money. And, and it's a lot of this kind of like, you know, under the surface anti-Semitic kind of stuff that we've seen across the country when it comes to George Soros and anything he's ever done. Yeah, anytime George Soros gets mentioned, you're like, oh, brace yourself. This is going to get really anti-Semitic really quickly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's only a matter of time. So you've probably heard of Godwin's Law, right? Which is uh, the basically Godwin's Law is the longer an online conversation goes on, the more likely it is that uh, someone or something will be compared to Nazis or Hitler. Uh, and it's the same thing with, uh, with George Soros, the moment his name comes up, it's only a matter of time before something really cringy and anti-Semitic, uh, it comes, comes behind it. And so, um, that's what we're seeing in Austin right now. It's very dirty. Um, and we really have, have got to defeat this at a very high level, uh, so that it, 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 it's, you know, a tactic that they see is, is not going to work in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we'll keep an eye out and definitely check out that conversation, uh, you know, the, just a episode prior for, for SignalCast. Yeah, 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 with the Austin Justice Coalition. So uh, is there anything else uh, you'd like to uh, mention on the cast before we wrap it up? I think that's about it. You know, we'll keep an eye out for, for what happens with, uh, you know, Senate Bill 8, with our redistricting maps. Um, you know, we've had a lot of uh, stories on, on Signal. We have an op-ed from a former candidate, Candace Valenzuela, just about her experience running and, and what, uh, what redistricting has wrought. Uh, so be sure to check that out. 
Yeah. And so always want to try to end on a positive note. So the two positive little pieces of news that I have to share are one, it, uh, the women's March took place last uh, Saturday. Of course, there was the national one at DC. And then there were, you know, other versions all throughout the country. And in Texas, I saw huge turnouts in Houston and in Dallas and uh, San Antonio. And here in Austin, we had uh, the one count I saw was uh, over 30,000. And so uh, it certainly looks like it from the pictures I've, I've saw a long time political politicos who you know operate within the capital say this is the largest uh, event they've ever seen take place at the on the capital grounds. And that just means that People are responding to what what these Republicans are doing, and and we see that reflecting in the polls. But it's always better to see that reflected on the ground and see actual people come out on a Saturday morning at eight a.m. Um, and 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 show support for for changing this the state government. I, I really loved seeing that there are also you know smaller smaller. Uh, rallies in places like Lubbock and Seagoville mm-hmm. um, and That's I, true. and um, so that was something that I I thought was good where you know if you even have just a couple of folks that are out there especially a place like Lubbock where um, they they actually have they, they did a, a ban on abortion they, they did the sanctuary for unborn thing a couple of weeks ago um, so that that for me was what I really liked yeah well, awesome. Well, you know, I think it is important that we we highlight what's going on outside of the urban areas because, you know, we're racking up the votes within the um, urban areas and then redistricting, they just crack, crack them and stretch them all the way out to rural areas uh, to diminish our uh, voting strength. And so it really is important that we talk to folks out there about why this is not good for them either. Uh, because if your representative has to think about, you know, a dense urban environment like Austin, but also rural farmers out in West Texas, and this is the same person, that really takes away the whole point of the representative government, because who are you actually representing? It's only the party that, that you know, that's on, on the ballot, and that's who you're really representing in Donald Trump. Um, and so we, we've got to educate people about why communities of interest are so important. And, uh, and that's in the redistricting process that's going on right now. So folks, you know, uh, keep, keep that in mind as we go through this and that you can always contact your representative and tell them how you feel about these maps. Uh, there's a lot of folks out there who are paying very close attention to this and you can get involved. Uh, just to name a few, uh, Texas Civil Rights Project is one that, that's very involved. You can go to their website um, the um, All on the Line organization, uh, which is Eric Holder's organization, is very active here in the state of Texas on this, and they they have ways that you can get involved, testify if you can, um, and and so there there are folks out there that are fighting the good fight, and and they need you to get in the game. So uh, as always, you can you know find us at texassignal.com and keep up with some of the latest developments and all these things. Uh, we certainly appreciate you joining the conversation on social media. And if you feel so inclined to please become a Patreon uh, at texassignal.com in top right and basically contribute uh, to make sure that this type of progressive journalism can continue. Uh, and we certainly appreciate that. So until next time, later y'all. Bye guys.